we are, as I said, going to look at the book of Zephaniah today and kind of finish up our uh, tour of the day of the Lord in the Minor Prophets. Uh, so you can see we've got a nice little introduction in um, chapter 1, verse 1. Um, Zephaniah starts by saying, The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushai, son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. Uh, so Ze- Zephaniah's name means Yahweh has hidden, or Yahweh has protected. Um, and if you're, if you're looking for Zephaniah, it's right after Habakkuk, uh, towards the end of the Minor Prophets. It's a little bit hard to find. It's another small book, three chapters. It's easy to miss it in there. Um, so we see that we get a nice little uh, genealogy, and um, nobody is sure whether or not the Hezekiah there uh, is referring to the godly king Hezekiah, but it's very possible. Uh, so he could have descended from, uh, from that godly king. But we do know, obviously, that he's reigning, uh, or he's prophesying. His ministry happens during the days of Josiah, who was uh, a king in Judah from 640 to 609 BC. Um, and you can read about his reign in Second Kings 21 to 23, and also Second Chronicles 33 to 35. Um, Josiah was a good king. He was a godly king, um, known especially for trying to uh, restore true worship. Uh, to the kingdom after a couple of really pretty wicked kings um, that had come before him. And um, so he's a, he's a reforming king, and we, we can see, obviously, that um, Zephaniah is prophesying uh, in the kingdom of Judah, because at this point, Israel is already in exile, right? They'd gone to exile in 722. So this is a couple of generations after uh, the northern kingdom has already fallen, so he's prophesying, Zephaniah's prophesying after, uh, a couple of generations after Isaiah, which we're going through with Dr. Master, um, but probably about the same time as the early part of Jeremiah, which we've been hearing in uh, Sunday mornings. So Zephaniah would be contemporary of, of Jeremiah. Um, the background to kind of what's going on at this time, um, despite witnessing the fall of the northern kingdom a couple of generations earlier, um, Judah at this point has still refused uh, to turn back as a whole to the Lord, uh, even though um, they do have this king now who's going to attempt reforms. Um, as I mentioned before that, that the kings were, were pretty wicked. Um, but now they have this opportunity to actually to turn back to the Lord and to repent of their sin, um, especially because they now have a godly king and leader, right, who's going to attempt to do that. Um, so they've got kind of a decision before them, um, and God is going to call for judgment on Judah in this book, but he's also going to hold out, as we've seen over and over and over again, right, hold out that hope of uh, forgiveness to them. So if you see especially, um, we'll look at this in a little bit, but chapter 2, verse 3, he says, Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. Um, this is also, this book is set against the backdrop of all these surrounding nations. Uh, again, kind of like uh, Isaiah and all the other prophets, right? There's these surrounding nations that are threatening um, Israel and now Judah. Uh, and they are nations who have opposed God by opposing God's people. Um, similar to what we saw actually 
last week with Obadiah. Uh, Obadiah is concerned especially with a prophecy against Edom because the Edomites um, had treated Israel or the Judites poorly when they were going into exile. Um, remember, the Edomites are descendants of Esau. They really should have actually had compassion on Israel and Judah. Um, but instead, when, uh, when Judah is being uh, conquered by the Babylonians and they're fleeing, um, the Edomites are actually taking advantage of them, um, doing violence to them, uh, mistreating them. So the Lord indicts them because of that. So we are going to see here in chapter 2 of Zephaniah, uh, very similar, the Lord will indict the Philistines. They were obviously like a perpetual enemy, right? Uh, so in, in chapter 2, verses 4 through 7, he's going to bring judgment on the Philistines. In chapter 2, verses 8 through 11, he's going to bring judgment on Moab and Ammon, who also were actually distant relatives. They were related uh, to the Israelites. But they had opposed uh, Israel's passage through their land back in Numbers 22 to 24. If you remember when they came out of Egypt, they wanted to travel through there. Both Ammon and Moab said, no, you can't come through. Um, chapter 2, verse 12, uh, we'll mention Cush. Probably uh, an Egyptian-Ethiopian dynasty, which is also mentioned in Isaiah 18. Uh, and then Assyria will be the last one mentioned uh, at the end of chapter 2, in, in chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. Um, and Assyria is the main threat at this time. Um, they had already conquered the northern kingdom, right? And there was a threat to do the same to the, to the southern kingdom. So that's the backdrop for Zephaniah. Um, and again, the main theme, uh, which is no surprise to us now, right, is the day of the Lord. And really, uh, from the first mention of it as a phrase is in chapter 1, verse 7. Uh, he says, Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guests. So that's the first mention of the day of the Lord. But he's going to mention it over and over again in slightly different ways, right? So... Verse 9, he says, on that day. Verse 10 again, he says, on that day, declares the Lord. Um, verses 14 and 15, we have the, the great day of the Lord is near. Uh, a day of wrath is that day, a day of distress, a day of ruin, a day of darkness. Um, verse 18, uh, neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. So we get these slightly different phrases at times, the day of the wrath of the Lord, the day of the anger of the Lord, but all pointing to um, the day of the Lord. And that's really what, from 1-7 on through the rest, uh, the book, it's about the day of the Lord, the coming judgment against those who are opposed to God, but also blessing for those who turn to him. Um, just a kind of a really basic outline. So obviously we have in um, chapter 1, verse 1, we get the introduction. Um, the first, uh, next five verses, uh, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, are about uh, a judgment that is coming on Judah. And this is likely prophesying what will, uh, what will happen uh, shortly after Zephaniah's, uh, or shortly after the reign of um, Josiah, when uh, Babylon ultimately will conquer Judah. Um, so this is more immediate term or near future. Then, uh, starting in verse 7, we see this, uh, again, this theme of the day of the Lord, and it runs all the way through pretty much the end of the book, uh, chapter 3, verse 20. 
So those are the main headings. Um, so any questions before we look at the actual content? No? All right. So uh, notice again that the book does open after the introduction with the threat of judgment on Judah. And we've seen in, in uh, the various prophets that there are various sins that are sometimes highlighted, right? Some of them highlight um, the kind of taking advantage of the poor, the life of ease and luxury that people are living. Some of them highlight the idolatry. Um, here, what Zephaniah is going to highlight is actually a kind of religious uh, syncretism or a, a mixing of worship of God along with the worship of, of idols. So I'm going to read especially verses 4 and 6. Um, this is the Lord speaking, right? This is the word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah. He says, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal and the name of the idolatrous priests along with the priests. The idea there is that you've got priests of God alongside these priests of Baal. Those are the idolatrous priests. Um, those who bow down on the roofs to the host of the heavens, uh, probably a reference to the astral deities that the Assyrians and the Canaanites worshipped. Um, but notice also those who bow down and swear to the Lord and yet swear by Milcom. Um, Milcom was one of the gods of the Ammonites. So it's not that the people living in Judah and Jerusalem have completely said, we don't, we don't believe in God anymore. We don't believe in Yahweh. That's not the problem, right? They still claim to believe in Yahweh, but they've brought in all of these other idols that they're also worshiping at the same time, uh, which the Lord obviously regards as, as abandoning him, right? Because he says, he has said that, uh, you shall have no other gods before me. He, he demands ultimate final allegiance to him, uh, and will not tolerate this mixed worship, bringing in the, the worship of, um, the gods from the surrounding nations. Uh, and so he's going to bring judgment on them for that, right? Uh, he says, those, in verse 6, those who have turned back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. And again, they would have said, well, no, we do seek the Lord. We inquire of him. We just also seek and inquire of these other things. Um, similar language again to uh, Isaiah, Isaiah 59, 13, talks about that same thing, about turning back from following the Lord. So they are, uh, they are going to be judged because... Uh, their mixed worship uh, really is is not true worship at all, right? And they've abandoned the true the true Lord and God of uh, their fathers. So then uh, we see in verse seven, um, the the day of the Lord is near. Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guests. Um, be silent, meaning. They don't have a chance to sort of protest or offer any defense. They really don't have any um, defense to offer. And ultimately, they're actually going to be the ones who, uh, I think the idea here is that they're the ones who are going to be the sacrifice that God is preparing. On the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all who array themselves in foreign attire. On that day, I will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold and those who fill their master's house with violence and fraud. Um, this leaping over the threshold is... Not really clear what it is, but it's probably an allusion to something that the surrounding nations did, some kind of practice. Um, but the point you can see is that adopting the world 
the, the ways of the world around them in their worship uh, and who they are serving ultimately also involves uh, following, following the ways of the world in other things, right? Like the violence and the fraud that is happening. Uh, when, you, when you start to lose the true worship uh, of the Lord God and start to worship like those around or you follow those, uh, the ways of the, the people around you in the world, you're going to end up also doing what they do. Um, and so that the, the Judahites have done this, they've become violent and they're committing fraud. So because of that, uh, verse 10, judgment is going to come from the north. Uh, on that day, declares the Lord, a cry will be heard from the fish gate, a wail from the second quarter, a loud crash from the hills. These are all in the northern part of the kingdom, um, the northern part of Judah. So, uh, and that's ultimately where the, the final judgment will come in terms of um, taking uh, taking Judah away captive. It's going to come from Babylon, uh, who is to the north and the east of them. Um, we get this description, another description uh, in verse 12 that is helpful uh, for kind of the, the, the sort of uh, the way that they're living, the kind of, uh, you know, sense that's in the air at this time in Israel or in Judah rather he says at that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps and I will punish the men who are complacent those who say in their hearts the Lord will not do good nor will he do ill so they're they're complacent they're kind of at ease right um, you might notice the uh, little footnote there it says those who are complacent can also be translated as, uh, or the original Hebrew says, those who are thickening on the dregs. Um, that's talking about wine that's just kind of sitting there and collecting sediment, right? It's, they're just not, they're not doing anything. They're just, they don't, they don't sense any danger whatsoever, right, about the situation that they're in. And really, while they would say, um, you know, we believe in the Lord, we believe that, you know, God exists um, by their actions. They're really showing and even saying, right, by their words that uh, they don't think he's going to do anything. Right? He's not active in history. Uh, they're really functional deists, right, uh, saying that they believe in God, but yet living and talking in such a way that shows they really actually don't believe in at least the true God of, of the Bible. And um I think that's uh, in a lot of ways similar to what we see around us today, right? Though uh, polls do seem to indicate that less and less people are saying they believe in God. There's still a large chunk, I think, of people in our culture that would say, yes, you know, I believe in God, and yet they live in a way that doesn't indicate that they think he actually really cares or does anything um, in their lives. Um, it's, it's similar if you flip over uh, to the New Testament, in Second Peter, three. Uh, second, Second Peter three, verses three and four, <clears throat> and this ties in as well because um, Peter's going to use the language here of the the day of the Lord uh, in a couple of verses after that. So Second Peter three. Um, Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. 
For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by means of these the world that, that then existed was deluged with water and perished. So he's saying, hey, you forgot about the flood. The Lord does intervene. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the, gun, the ungodly. Verse 8, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But, notice the language here, the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Um, so it's the same thing going on here in Zephaniah, right? They don't, they're mistaking the Lord's patience for inaction or maybe even inability. Um, either God's choosing not to intervene or uh, he maybe even can't, but we're not too concerned about it, right? Uh, so they've become complacent. And we need to guard against that in our own lives uh, and warn those around us um, as well. Uh, that living in this way actually indicates you don't really believe in the, the true God of the Bible. So, uh, in verse 13, we get language pulled directly from Deuteronomy 28, which is about the covenant curses that were to come on Israel and Judah when they reached this position. So the Lord is, uh, in some ways, reminding them, I'm going to fulfill my covenant with you, and it'll be either for judgment or for uh, forgiveness, We'll see here in a moment, there is the opportunity for forgiveness. But uh, in verse 13, he's saying, these covenant curses, that I promise, they're going to come upon you because of this. Um, and then verses 14 through 18, um, to the end of, of chapter 1, just reiterates the terror and the destruction that will come on the day of the Lord. Uh, it's similar language to what we've seen in the other prophets. Uh, it's this uh, language of like cosmic or worldwide um, distress and anguish um, and as we saw way back in, in Amos it's a, it's a day of darkness and not light um, in fact Zephaniah is actually um, very similar uh, in its message to Judah as Amos's message was to Israel so if you remember Amos was prophesying in the north to the, to the kingdom of Israel before they fell and he kind of did the kind of, you know, he was talking about all the surrounding nations, sort of getting the Israelites to say, yeah, yeah, judgment on them, judgment on them. Then he moved a little bit closer and said, hey, there's going to be judgment on Judah and Israel. Some of them might have said, okay, we're fine with that because, you know, we don't like them. Or some of them might have said, ooh, that's a little close to home. That's our sister. Um, then he says, Amos says, judgment's coming on you also, Israel, right? And Zephaniah is going to do the same thing, though he already tips his hand a bit at the beginning to say, hey, judgment's coming on Judah. Um, he's now, though, about to move into, in chapter 2, judgment on the surrounding nations, and he's going to finish by saying there's also judgment on Jerusalem that's coming. Um, but we, we see here at the end of chapter 1, uh, you can read it later, but the, the language of the terror and the distress that's coming. Um, but I do want to move on then to the beginning of chapter 2, because we get that first note, right, which is always there. Whenever the Lord brings judgment, there's always a note of hope, forgiveness, restoration, repentance, right? So chapter 2, verse 1, Gather together, yes, gather, O shameless nation, before the decree takes effect, before the day passes away like chaff, before there comes upon you the burning anger of the Lord, before there comes upon you the day of the anger of the Lord. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land. 
who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. So uh, there is still the chance to avoid this judgment for those who will repent and turn back to the Lord. Now it doesn't mean ultimately they'll be spared, right? Uh, complete um, consequences, even as uh, you know, Pastor Phillips mentioned in the sermon um, that that there are those who are carried off into exile and those who remain. It's actually the ones who remain that are in the worst condition compared to those who are carried off because the Lord says he's going to bring back those who he's carried off and he's going to give them a new heart. The ones that remained were actually the ones who thought they were in a great position but are going to end up with the fuller judgment. Um, so it doesn't mean that uh, if you seek the Lord, humble yourself, he's going to take all of the bad away, right? But it does mean he will bring you through and ultimately, as we'll see at the end of chapter 3, restore his people to uh, his presence. Um, so, note also, it's especially those who are humble, right? Um, seek righteousness, seek humility. Um, God, what's interesting, interesting too, is, is in here in chapter 2, verse 3, he's, he's commanding this, right? Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land. Seek righteousness, seek humility. If you flip over to chapter 3, verse 12, you'll see God is actually going to ensure that there are those people. Uh, He says, but I will leave, uh, I'll start reading verse 11. On that day you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain, but I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. The Lord will do this. He will ensure that there are those who turn back to him in repentance and who seek humility. So we get that first little note of, of hope there in uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. But then notice in chapter 4, it goes back to judgment. And so for, uh, for Gaza shall be deserted and Ashkelon shall become a desolation. Ashdod's people shall be driven out at noon and Ekron shall be uprooted. These are Philistine cities running from south to north, um, most of them right along the coast. So there's going to be judgment on them. Uh, There's going to be judgment on, as I said, the Moabites, the Ammonites. And notice verse 10. He says, this shall be their lot in return for their pride. So I think one of the themes also that Zephaniah is highlighting is is humility and pride. The contrast there, uh, the Lord will show favor, blessing, restore, forgiveness to those who are humble, and he will judge those who are proud. Um, Cush is mentioned uh, in verse 12, just one little verse, and then verses 13 and 15, we we see judgment on um, Assyria. And again, notice verse um, 15. This is the exultant city that lives securely. He's talking about Nineveh the capital of Assyria, uh, that said in her heart, I am, and there is no one else. Who is that phrase reserved for? Yahweh. Yeah, exactly. God himself, right? The Lord, Yahweh. He is the one who can say, uh, who can say that I am, and there is no one else. But Nineveh, uh, as embodying the Assyrian nation, is claiming that for, for herself. So they will be, uh, judged, right? What a desolation she has become, a lair for wild beasts. Everyone who passes by her hisses and shakes his fist, so it'll be utter destruction for them. 
um, because of their pride. Um, so again, Zephaniah's hearers are going to like this part, right? Um, they, they want that judgment to come uh, upon their enemies. And yet, uh, it gets interesting, in, in, again, in chapter 3, um, he turns now, well, first, you're not quite sure. Is he still talking about, you know, we have a chapter break here. They wouldn't have had that. Is he still talking about this city, Nineveh? He says, woe to her who is rebellious and defiled, the oppressing city. She listens to no voice. She accepts no correction. Could, could be Nineveh, right? Well, no. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. Um, there's this twist now, again, kind of like in Amos, where the Lord is pointing that judgment back now at, at Jerusalem in this case. Um, he's talking about the capital of uh, Judah, and it's because uh, they also are like their surrounding nations, right? Um, verse 3, her officials within her are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves that leave nothing till the morning. Her prophets are fickle, treacherous men. Her priests profane what is holy. They do violence to the law. The Lord within her is righteous. He does no injustice. Every morning he shows forth his justice. Each dawn he does not fail, but the unjust knows no shame. Um, and so obviously Zephaniah is contrasting the Lord and his righteousness and justice with the way that uh, his people have have been behaving. And again, it's this notion that the Judah has become like the surrounding nations. Um, they have adopted the, the ways of the, the nations around her and the judgments that are going to come on them are also going to come on Judah, on, on Jerusalem, on the people of God, so to speak. Uh, and it's just a, a reminder, again, that um, we should not be like the, the world around us. And um, we need to even see the, the consequences of the sin of other people as a warning. Um, that's, uh, that's what, you know, over and over again, the Lord points to what happened to Israel and says, Judah, don't be like Israel, Right. Uh, and so when we see the consequences of, of sin in the lives of the people around us, uh, whether it's somebody in the church who has strayed and the Lord is correcting and disciplining to bring them back, whether it's unbelievers, uh, where we see the, just the ravages of sin in their lives and what it's, what it's caused, it should be a warning to us um, to make sure that we do not follow that same path by God's grace. <clears throat> um, notice also... Uh, the Lord's patience again. Um, he says in verse uh, 6 and 7, I have cut off nations, their battlements are in ruins. I have laid waste their streets so that no one walks in them. Their cities have been made desolate without a man, without an inhabitant. I said, surely you will fear me. You will accept correction. Then your dwelling would not be cut off according to all that I have appointed against you. But all the more they were eager to make all their deeds corrupt. Um, up in verse 2, he had said that this city listens to no voice, accepts no correction, um, even though he had given chances and opportunities. And in some sense, we know, you know, verse verse 7 is one of those sort of figurative verses where uh, the Lord knows ultimately what's going to happen. But he's saying, you know, I gave you chance after chance, and I thought, surely you'll accept correction, and you'll heed these warnings, and you'll turn back. He knows they won't, but he's highlighting some of the fact that, that they had the chances and the opportunities, and they, and they didn't. 
Uh, and then he says, therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up to seize the prey. For my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out upon them my indignation, all my burning anger, for in the fire of my jealousy all the earth shall be consumed. And if the book ended there, um, we would not have much hope. There was a little glimmer of it, right, in chapter 2 at the beginning. But that's a pretty dire uh, prediction of full judgment, right? But thankfully that's not the end uh, of the book. And this book does finish again, as we've seen over and over again, the final note is not a dark note. It's not a note of ultimately of, of judgment, though that is going to come, but it's also a note of hope for those that will turn and trust. And not just uh, Judah or, or even Israel, but as we see in verses 9, and thir- 9 through 13, it's actually uh, hope for the whole world. Conversion of the nations, restoration of the faithful Israel. Uh, so verse 9 For at that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshippers, the daughter of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. On that day you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. But I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord." Those who are left in Israel, they shall, they shall do no injustice and speak no lies, nor shall they be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue, for they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Um, notice it's, a, it's a, a change not only in speech, but also in deed, right? They, all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. Um, there's, there's peace and sin will be removed. Um, and... The response then uh, that God calls for when he does this, as we see in verses 14 and following, is to praise and rejoice because God has taken away judgment. So sing aloud, O daughters of Zion. Shout, O Israel, rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Uh, Just a wonderful picture, right, of of God's people dwelling with him uh, in safety, in peace, um, the absence of, of sin, ultimately pointing to that last day, right? When the, there's full judgment, the, the day when Christ returns. Um, and there will be rejoicing and praise uh, because of what the Lord has done. And, and we have to remember that, again, in this context, you know, the, uh, this isn't just now at this point Israel and Judah, but this is actually people from all tribes and tongues and peoples and nations, right? Um, that kind of upends what the, the typical uh, Jewish notion of, of judgment, you know, on the Gentiles and uh, rescue of, of all the Jews is actually uh, at this point, as we know from the New Testament, but even as we see here, uh, already pointing to the fact that the, God's people are for every time at tribe and, and tongue and people and nation. There is no distinction, right, Jew, Jew or Gentile. Um, it's not uh, the people of God is not ultimately 
uh, those who were ethnic Israelites, but it's actually anyone from any country, from any descendant, uh, descendant from any um, ethnic background whatsoever, if they call on the Lord for salvation, they will be saved. Um, so I think the main, main takeaways um, from this book, again, there we've seen it over and over again, right, that there is a coming judgment, um, and we should be not only remembering that for ourselves, but warning others uh, around us uh, when we have opportunity to say, you know, this, this, this life isn't all there is. Uh, there is something else coming. The Lord will bring justice and judgment on sin, and yet he also holds out uh, forgiveness to all who would repent and turn from their sin and, and believe in him. We also need to be wary of uh, becoming, you know, like the world, um, and that's easy to do even in, in the church to kind of adopt the ways of the world around us or even in our lives throughout the week at home uh, to just slip into the ways of the world. We have, you know, in our day and age especially, uh, the, the message of the world is coming at us in all kinds of directions, right? Social media and TV and music and uh, in all of these ways. And I'm not saying that you should just completely avoid all of those things, but you have to be very wary that even subtly the message of the world is slipping in uh, to, to our um, consciences, and, um, and it's, it's easy to, to miss that. Uh, so we have to be wary of that because it, it will ultimately have disastrous consequences. Um, and then, again, the, the, the way that the, the Zephaniah points out the need for humility uh, and the Lord um, judging pride. Uh, even with what Pastor Phillips preached this morning, or if you haven't been to the service, what you'll hear uh, in a little bit, um, the, the, the fact that the Lord in His grace and mercy is the only one who can change hearts uh, ought to make us extremely humble because we recognize that we had nothing to do with our salvation whatsoever, right? There wasn't something in us the difference between um, my faith in Christ and somebody else rejecting Christ is not ultimately down to any sort of intelligence on my part or just a better will uh, or clear understanding or some little hint of goodness in my heart. It's, it's ultimately the Lord and his kindness and grace and mercy saying, in love, I, I have chosen you to be a child of God. And so that should give us great humility. Um, any questions before I close? What do you think on the message of the world that um, you know we're talking about? The message that well, um, we hear from the world on social media. Can you give us examples of those? Um, how about you guys think of some examples? <laughs> well, song song texts come to mind um, and the kind of messages that can be kind of mindlessly inserted into things and talking to people who don't listen to the words of the music that they that they're hearing and mm -hmm. I think oh my goodness that is so sinisterly entering your mind and you don't even know what it is that that's something we talk about a lot in my family. Yeah. yeah. What kinds of, what are some of those messages you think that are uh, contrary to scripture? I want to say that the majority of them have to do with um, self-worship. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's you know, that's the like the broad, overarching right. idea. But 
They're, yeah. They're all like smaller aspects of it. Yeah. And that might sound a little extreme and probably would to a lot of people, right? <laughs> like, so, well, I'm not worshiping myself. But, um, but if you think, if you listen carefully, even the, you know, kind of the uh, trend on Instagram to post a lot. I'm not saying, you know, don't ever post sort of like what you're doing. Maybe your friends, you know, are interested, but a lot of that tends towards, hey, look at me. Hey, look at me. You know, look what I'm doing. Look where I'm at. Look who I'm with. Uh, look at the things I'm eating. Um, there's, there is ultimately a sort of building a kingdom of the self, right? Uh, and, and making myself the center of not just my world, but should be the center of everybody's world to some extent, right? What are some other, yeah, so self-worship or building your own kingdom, what are some other messages that the world tends to slip in or maybe not even so subtly sort of just put in our face? That sin isn't serious. Yeah. And that we are our own gods, kind of. We decide what is right. And yeah. You can live your own truth just... There's really no basis for what truth is. It's just whatever seems right to you. Yeah, yeah, that is an excellent point. Yes, I I determine what's right for me, and uh, I don't need to worry about the consequences of that, which is um, completely contrary to Scripture, right? That there are consequences. There's a standard the Lord has given, and it's not only, and a lot of times, you know, people think that uh, this standard is meant to sort of, you know, curtail our fun or limit us in some way or repress us when in fact the way the Lord has built the world his standards promote life right and joy and goodness and sin is contrary to all of that and will rob us of that ultimately and yet the, the message of the world is is yeah there there's no sin or sin is just going against your own beliefs and what you think is right or those kinds of things and there's no consequences for that we don't need to worry about that and minimizing sin yeah those are both two big messages we see in the world around us. Yeah, a couple minutes. Any others to watch out for? Well, I watch those house shows. Yeah. <laughs> and I've noticed <clears throat> on there that I think it's be, it's causing people to become accustomed to see same sex and all this kind of stuff because they're decorating houses for them. Yeah. And now they're you know into it themselves and they're. Of course, very artistically talented in what they can do. Yeah, so that yeah, there's certain arenas, especially where um, the completely uh, anti-biblical understandings of, of gender and sexuality are held up before us. And even as Christians, and we recognize this is wrong, we have to guard against the fact that like the more you're exposed to it as like just like this is normal. You know, you see it even in commercials now. Where you you know you see they give glimpses of families and there's you know very often a family with uh, two dads or two moms. And the more we're exposed to that, it, it's even in some ways we have to guard that we're not just subtly thinking like oh maybe that is normal right um, when when it's clearly uh, against what the Lord's word says in those areas. Yeah, those are all uh, excellent examples of the message of the world um, being really put forward every day around us, right, in our culture. All right, any others? Or I'll, I can close in prayer and we'll be dismissed. All right, let's pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that you use it to um, give blessing to us in our lives, to 
direct us in the straight and narrow. Uh, we do pray, Lord, that you would help us to recognize um, those messages of the world around us and the ways in which we, uh, even uh, in our own lives, might be tempted to slip into uh, worldly thinking or uh, in any way become um, syncretistic in our uh, understanding of the world and how to worship you. Please guard us by your Holy Spirit and through your word from that. Help us to recognize what is right and true. And we pray, Lord, uh, that you would uh, help us all to be ready for the day of the Lord. Help us to also warn those around us uh, that there is a coming judgment, but yet you hold out the hope of forgiveness to all who would believe in Christ, uh, all who would turn in humble repentance and look to you for grace and mercy. You will grant it. You will forgive sin. Uh, you will um, save from judgment uh, because you've placed that judgment on your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for him, for his death and resurrection on our behalf, and we pray that you would help us to worship him this day. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.